It's time now for super psychologist, Dr. Mara Carpell, and your golden years. Good evening, and welcome to Dr. Mara Carpell and your golden years. This evening and every Sunday evening at 5 p.m. Central Time, and that's 6 p.m. Eastern Time right here on blogtalkradio.com and on drmaracarpell.com. And today is Sunday, February the 25th, 2024, and I'm psychologist Dr. Mara Carpell, and we are back live with another great program for you. And Art Mendoza of Accomplice Entertainment, producer of this program, is here, of course, to make the show run smoothly, as usual. And then a little while after the break, we'll be joined once again by Dr. Michael Wasserman. Mike is a geriatrician, chair of the Public Policy Committee of the California Association of Long-Term Care Medicine, and an author and editor of numerous books, a speaker, and a tireless advocate for improving health care for older adults and improving care received in nursing homes. And he's back with us this evening to continue our discussion about some of the pressing current issues of geriatric health care and nursing home care. And then later in the program, Rosie Davis, founder of Yellow Heart Memorial, will be back to tell us about the launch of a new traveling memorial for those lost to COVID called More Than a Number. And after the program, you can hear this evening's show again by going to my website, and the link to the podcast will be posted later tonight along with any website links that we discuss on the program. And you'll also be able to hear the podcast in as soon as five minutes after the show ends by going directly to blog talk radio, that's B-L-O-G, talkradio.com, slash your golden years. And you'll also be able to hear it on Apple Podcasts. And for previous programs, to listen to them, to get the information from them, be sure to go go to my website, drmaricartel.com, and you can also hear all of those on blogtalkradio.com slash your golden years and on Apple Podcasts. And for upcoming programs and events, be sure to follow me on Facebook, Dr. Mara Carpell, Your Golden Years. This evening's program is produced by Accomplice Entertainment and Psyched Up Productions. And we're going to take a very brief break. Don't go anywhere because when we come back, we'll be joined right here by Dr. Michael Wasserman. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Super psychologist Dr. Mara Carpell will be back after words from our sponsors. Dr. Mara's book, The Passionate Life, Creating Vitality and Joy at Any Age, is now available on Kindle and in paperback at Amazon. Don't forget to listen to Dr. Mara Carpell and your golden years live from Austin, Texas, every Sunday on blogtalkradio.com. Please visit us on the web at www.drmaracarpell.com. And we're back. If you're just joining us, this is Dr. Mara Carpell and your golden years right here on blogtalkradio.com and on drmaracarpell.com. And now joining us on the phone is Dr. Michael Wasserman, geriatrician and advocate for health care for the elderly and for improving care in nursing homes. And he's joining us once again. Welcome, Mike. Are you there? I am here, Mara. Thank you for having me on again. Thank you so much for joining us. I really, really have been looking forward to talk, talking with you again. It was been a, it's been almost a whole year since the last time we spoke. For listeners, go on. Oh, I was just going to say um, time, time, uh, 
in many ways these days, especially after the pandemic, I think is so strange. Some things feel like they were yesterday and some things feel like they were 10 years ago. So it, to me, it feels like yesterday that we spoke, uh, I was last on your show. So uh, I think that's a good thing. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. I, when I looked at the date of the last time, I couldn't believe that it was so long ago because it was, it felt pretty recent. <laughs> so, um, just as a reminder, there's a slight delay when we talk like this. So that's for you to remember, for me to remember, and for our listeners to understand. So, um, maybe, um, you, can we start with, just a little bit about your background for those listeners who didn't hear you last time or haven't heard of you yet. Oh, that's, that's terrific. I, I am a geriatrician and I I always like to tell people that's, that's just like, uh, you know, being a pediatrician is a physician who takes care of children. Being a geriatrician is a physician who specializes in caring for older adults. And uh, I, I, that is a specialty uh, in, uh, in medicine. Uh, and uh, I've, uh, that's actually just, that defines who I am for most mm-hmm. of my career. Uh, and, you know, all the other things I, I, I've done, I've gotten involved in policy. Uh, as you said, I've written things. But, it, but at the end of the day, it's all about helping older adults uh, live better lives. And, and, you know, one of the things I always tell people, the field of geriatrics is about function and quality of life. It's, it's not about, uh, you know, curing this disease. It's, it's really about finding what matters to people, what's important to them, and how to help them achieve those things. Mhm. Mhm. So, um, so since the last time you've been on, um, and it was actually April, I believe, of 2023, have there been any? Has there been anything new in the world of advocating for healthcare or in long-term care? Oh my gosh. <laughs> so, <laughs> from from a policy perspective. So, so, look, I, I define long-term care as people who live in their own homes who need help all the way to people who require nursing home care. And I, there's a lot of folks who, you know, would rather we not have nursing homes or people say very commonly, I never want to end up in a nursing home. But the reality is some people need a higher level of care. And so uh, we, we have a need for nursing homes, for assisted living facilities. We have a need mm-hmm. for home-based care. Now, all of those things, I think, have been heightened by the pandemic and, and just the fact that what we saw during the pandemic of the number of folks in long-term care who, who died. And mm-hmm. it's forced us to take a long, hard look. And so the, when it comes to the, the health care of older adults, it, it all comes down to the fact that in, in the United States, that basically means Medicare and Medicaid. And a lot of people don't even think about Medicaid because they think about Medicaid as being for poor people who, you know, who can't afford health insurance but Medicaid also pays for long-term care, for nursing home care. So the fact that both Medicare and Medicaid are the key payors for, for both health care to older adults and nursing home care means that it's all about the government and it's all about policies. And so uh, over the last uh, several months, there have been two major policies that have come out uh, from the federal government. One has to do with uh, how transparent uh, the nursing home industry is, and the other is how we staff nursing homes. 
And there's a lot of mm-hmm. politics around that and a lot of controversy around that. Um, but at the end of the day, as a clinician uh, whose, whose focus is on older adults, I always try to focus on the facts. And I, I try to focus on, you know, what, what the things we can all agree upon, the, the common sense things. And so I think if there's one positive to all this is, um, well, Actually, we're coming up on two years since the President of the United States, for the first time in the history of this country, mentioned nursing homes in the State of the Union address. Mm. And a wow. year ago, a year ago, he, he mentioned them again. And I'm expecting in the upcoming State of the Union that we may see a trifecta. We may hear three years in a row the President of the United States mentioning nursing homes. Hmm. Well, that's pretty amazing. And so what, what, I, what, I think, what, what I think is really important about that is as a society, we need to be taking on the issues surrounding our elders. And mm-hmm. that's, I hope that's what we're here to talk about. Yeah, yeah, I agree, because I think that um, it's usually swept under the rug and people don't want to talk about it. And um, I know in my experience, of you know, when I first began working in nursing homes as a psychologist, um, if people asked me what I did for a living and I told them what I did, they usually would glaze over and say, oh, that's interesting, and change the subject. So um, people don't want to hear about that. They, 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 they don't want to talk about um, end of life, really. You know, that's, that's an interesting aspect to all of this, the, the end of life issues. Um, and, and it's interesting because a lot of older people, as they near the end of life, come to grips with what they're going through. Um, I'm, I'm experiencing, this, experiencing this right now with my own father, who's uh, going to turn 90 mm-hmm. in about a month. And uh, he's got a, a number of health issues. And at the same time, he's, he's found some peace. Um, and that's the irony of all that is that is not uncommon. And I have cared for a lot of older people nearing the end of life. And I'd, I'd actually say that it's more common than not that most older people, as they do near that, um, do find some peace. Mm-hmm. And so, so it's, mm-hmm. it's, not something, it's not something that we need to be afraid of. Let's put it that way. One of the things that I noticed, I know, with my mom, who she passed a few months ago, before, right before turning 95, um, was that she really valued life, and she really wanted to live as, much, as long as she could, in spite of multiple impairments and functioning. You know, she was in a wheelchair, her speech was a little bit, um, difficult to understand, um, but she still enjoyed life very much. And I think that's one of the things that, you know, she came to peace with her own disabilities, but that didn't mean that she was ready to just leave because because she had those disabilities. Where I see that some doctors jump to the conclusion that. Um, the person's life is not worthwhile anymore, and they shouldn't uh, they shouldn't receive any kind of treatment, even if it's non-invasive treatment, to sustain their life. Um, and I, we went through that with my mom as well, like two and a half years ago. Um, but I've noticed that the doctors who do that are not trained like you are in geriatrics. That is absolutely true, and, you know, one of the key goals and tenets of geriatric, or one of the key uh, uh, 
parts of geriatrics is the importance of goals and preferences. And, and what's really fascinating, and one of the things I've learned, and you can do your own thought experience, you know, experiment. You know, what's, what's important to you right now? So, you know, if you have certain capabilities, certain things may be more important. But as those things change, you may adjust. And I've often asked myself, I am very much into exercise and, and uh, running and swimming. And what if something happened and I couldn't do those things? Well, well I would probably do other things that I'm able to do. And I, I think that's very human. I, th- I think we, we tend to figure out what we can do and where we can do it. But I think it's, it's absolutely essential. One of the most important things for doctors to do, and they don't, so one of the most important things that all your listeners can do is mm-hmm. when, they're, when they're with their doctor, when they're talking to their doctor, Make sure the doctor understands what's important to you, what matters. And I give you, hey, my dad's an incredible example of that right now. When he was young, he wanted to be a major league baseball player. And, uh, and he didn't make it. He tried out back in the 50s for a major league baseball team and, and, and wasn't good enough. Um, and somewhere in a, about a decade ago, he, he kind of, got back into baseball and started going to the batting cage and discovered that he has a very unique talent. He's able to hit 90 mile per hour fastballs. And it became a goal of his to hit 90 mile an hour fastballs at the age of 90. And literally five weeks from now, it is his goal and plan to be in the batting cage on his 90th birthday, hitting 90 mile an hour fastballs. And wow. uh, he, he's been featured in the Los Angeles times or in the national news. Uh, it, it is undoubtedly a, a record of some sort, um, but, but, mm-hmm. but that's not what's important. And, and I've, you know, it's funny because there are weeks that my dad's like, I don't think I want to go to the batting cages. And I'm like, you know, it's up to you. It's what matters to you. Um, the crazy thing is when he actually gets in the cage, it's like he's 30 years old again or 20 years mm-hmm. old again. It's, it's, and he has, he, Amazing. He, has lung, he has lung disease. He has other things going on. Uh, it's hard for him to get up and move normally, but you put him in that batting cage and all of a sudden he's transformed. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, I, I think, I think there's a lesson in all this for all of us. And for, 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 I don't have confidence that doctors are going to ask these questions. So I really have come to believe that the patients need to be pushing this. We need to get the word out to all older adults Tell your doctor, tell your healthcare provider what's important to you, what matters to you, and, and use that information to determine whether you should be on a medication or whether you should be getting a treatment or, or what, you know, how you should approach any specific problem. I, I think that's critical. Mm-hmm. I absolutely agree. I absolutely agree. And and what I found with my mom was that doctors just wrote her off because her speech wasn't clear and because she, you know, she looked elderly and they assumed a lot of things that were not true and never asked her what she wanted. So I had to be the advocate for my mom because I knew what she wanted and she was actually telling me what she wanted. I understood her speech and we had discussions at at the time. And, um, you know, but it, it, I actually had a fight <laughs> um, to get her treatment. Uh, uh, two and a half years ago, they wanted to put her in hospice when she wasn't dying. Um, and she wanted, she needed extra diuretic to remove the fluid from her lungs because of her congestive heart failure and the doctor didn't want to do it. Um, 
and we actually had to um, reach out to her cardiologist who luckily ran the team at that hospital, the cardiology team, and he knew my mom, and we said, this is what she wants. And he said, if that's what your mother wants, then that's what I'm going to do. And so he pushed the other doctor out of the way, who wasn't happy about it. And the result was my mother was able to leave the hospital without any fluid in her lungs and lived two more years, a very happy, joyful life. But not one time in the four weeks did the doctor ask her what she wanted. And, you know, two things that pop up from your story. One is you were that daughter (laughs) that Uh a lot of, a lot of physicians complain about, and oh, for sure. <laughs> I, I never, I never, I actually think I can say this, throughout my career, I never complained about that daughter. I, I had many of those daughters, um, and sometimes it was a challenge to uh, communicate, but where I came from, was a recognition that that daughter was that daughter because of her love and passion mm. for her mother or father's life. And, mm-hmm. and so long as I reminded myself that the daughter, and it's usually a daughter, not a son, but it can be a son occasionally, but it's usually the daughter. Um, uh-huh. I, as long as I reminded myself that 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 the daughter was coming from a place of love i and and asked myself if i were in her shoes wouldn't i be the same way and and ultimately i found myself in that position uh, I, I found myself in that position with my in-laws and my you know my parents over the years and i i think if there were one thing i could it's kind of funny of all the things i might do uh, in in getting physicians to uh, to learn something is to appreciate the the caring family rather than find them to be combative or an adversary or a problem um, because they're not and uh, it's it really is something that is unfortunate. Um, and, and one of the things, you know, I've, I've been in meetings I've, uh, where, where someone has said, well, you know, this is a, this is a problem family or, or rather this is a mm. difficult family. And, and I. Oh, I lost him. All right. We're going to take a quick break and. Hopefully, Dr. Lofman will call back. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Are you or a loved one a Medicare beneficiary? Help save you and Medicare money by stopping Medicare fraud. Fraud happens when Medicare is billed services or supplies you never received. There are three easy things you can do to prevent fraud. Review your Medicare claims for accuracy. Protect your personal information and look for any suspicious activity. For more information or to report fraud, call Medicare at 1-800-MEDICARE or call your local Medicare SHIP program at 1-800-252-9240. All right, Mike, we lost you, so we played a commercial. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I, I, that was good. <laughs> Quick thinking. I'm I'm right back. I was I was about to say, um, if there was one thing that I really could could do, is to really help physicians, nurse practitioners, nurses, etc. Um, communicate better with families, and it's just it goes to the same point of communicating mm-hmm. with patient. And, and mm-hmm. knowing what matters to them and, and hearing them and, and, 
and not and, and recognizing that our goal, our mission as healthcare providers and clinicians is to respect the dignity, the autonomy of the individual. And, um, you know, we live in a very ageist society. And uh, I think there's a lot of times that uh, clinicians make decisions that are not respectful of mm-hmm. of the, their patients and their families. And, and I think that is really at the foundation of, uh, of direction we need to take in healthcare. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. Um, I think that's the, that is it. You named it it's respecting the individual. Um, and I think, very often, if the individual can't speak for themselves, their families know their wishes, right? That's the whole point of having a healthcare yes. proxy, right? Um, Ab- so, you know, actually, you funny. Yeah, you, you mentioned a healthcare proxy, and uh, you know, we we talk a lot about advanced directives and 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 a power of attorney and things like that. At the end of the day, so, so actually you, you bring me back to one of my favorite end-of-life topics that I've talked about for many years. Um, unfortunately, so many times we've seen on, in movies and on television that an older loved one is in the intensive care unit and the doctor comes out and they say to the family, what do you want us to do for mom? And unfortunately, that is normal, even today, in, so in real life, not in TV, not in the movies, and it's the wrong question. The question is, what would your mom want? And right. you really, as, as, as healthcare providers, we really need to maintain a focus on what mom or dad would want if they could tell us. And if they're able to tell us, we need to be listening. And if they're not able to tell us, we need to do the best we can to put ourselves in their shoes to identify what they would want. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So this is such an important message, and I think it goes to a lot of the issues that go on in nursing homes as well. And I guess the question is, like, how do we get that message out? How do we overcome this ageism, this tendency of doctors to assume what they think is the best thing? Sometimes I'm not even sure that, uh, you know, uh, I'm sure there are some wonderful doctors who really care, but I think there are doctors who aren't actually thinking necessarily about the patient, but more about the the hospital, what the hospital is pressuring or what the nursing home is pressuring, um, you know, in terms of financial, whether it's worth the money to treat, that kind of thing. And I wonder how we overcome this. It seems so, like, such a big obstacle, and we're all going to be there one day. We, we are. And, and actually, I, I actually think one of the areas that is often overlooked, um, and I know we're getting to the end here, but uh, I give a, something for you and, and all your listeners to think about. Um, when we're working, we pay taxes to the government for Medicare. And that money, our taxpayer dollars, goes to, to Medicare. And, 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 and help support the Medicare program. But uh, something a lot of folks don't realize is the government spends about between 10 and $20 billion a year of, of our Medicare taxpayer dollars subsidizing the education of physicians and teaching physicians how not to take care of older people. <laughs> and, and then... Wow. The government spends billions and develops all sorts of programs to try to fix their mess. So I, I for decades, have advocated for reforming that how we spend those taxpayer dollars and that we should 
literally require that physicians, nurses, others who are being trained in the care of older adults be trained in geriatrics, that learn competencies in geriatrics. Because if you don't, if you don't teach it to begin with, you're going to have these problems forever and ever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, interesting that you should say that because going back to that doctor who didn't want to treat my mom in the hospital, um, one of the things he said for not increasing the diuretic to get the fluid out of her lungs was that, quote, I took a seminar one time about working with elderly patients, and this is what they taught me. (laughs) Start low and go slow. Now, I knew that saying because I've worked in nursing homes for a long time, and I said, doesn't that mean to start low and to gradually increase? And he did not like the fact that I knew what that meant, and he said, well, I'm not going to do that. But the red flag to me was I took a seminar one time and working with elderly patients. That was his training. And that's uh, scary. And, it's so egocentric. And, um, you know, I, it's funny. I, I, I consider myself uh, generally to be a therapeutic nihilist. I, I tend not to, uh, use a lot of medications or, or be very aggressive. But, but, there's a, remember, every person is an individual and every situation is unique. And so, you know, there, I, I, I always remember one of my patients coming to my office and I sat down, I looked at him, and I must have spent like 20 seconds. And I said to him and his son, I'm putting you in the hospital right now. And, and they, they were surprised because I hated putting people in hospitals because hospitals are dangerous places. But mm-hmm. there are exceptions to every rule. And, and it was so disrespectful of that doctor to, to use that um, rather than to identify that in your mom's case, this was a circumstance for doing something differently. And, mm-hmm. and there are, there are times to be aggressive and there are times to be aggressively conservative. And the key is understanding the needs of the patient in order to figure out when those are. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, I, and I think that, you know, a big part of it is that, as you said, there are so few people trained in working with older people. So, you know, he based it on his one seminar that he took one time about working with older patients, and he generalized that across all elderly patients. And I don't think that he was – I don't think he was unique. I think that's really – it seems like it's pretty common. Yes. Yes. Um, Now – I know the last time you were on, you mentioned that there has been a decrease of medical students studying geriatric medicine and getting that training. That's really, really important. Is that still going on? Has that gotten better or has that gotten worse? <sighs> to, me, this is, to me, this is the existential problem of our, of our lifetime. Um, no, it's not gotten better. And yes, it is getting worse. And uh, not only do we need medical students being trained in geriatrics, we need medical students and, you know, becoming physicians and going into the field. But, but honestly, what we really need is every doctor who takes care of older people to be competent in the care of older people. And we are, in my opinion, so far away from that right now. And, and it's getting worse because mm-hmm. the, what I like to call the healthcare industrial complex um, isn't about that. Because honestly, um, good geriatric care tends to be pretty cost-effective and 
doesn't require a lot of medications and doesn't require a lot of fancy treatments and tests, but that's not how you make money in healthcare. And so we, we have, we have a huge problem. I, I think this, this problem is only going to get worse before it gets better. Hmm. Wow. Okay. So to end on a positive note, <laughs> are there things that listeners can do um, to help this situation, especially if they have a family member who is elderly and, and is in need of health care? You know, I, I think the single most important thing is to be that advocate regardless of the response, to, to stand up for your loved ones, to make sure that their health care providers know what's important to them, and, and speak from that place, what's important to mom or dad, what matters to them. And I, I think that's the best place to start um, on a policy perspective. Um, oh, God, that's a whole other topic because we, we really need to address ageism in our society, in our politics. Mm-hmm. And right now that's getting tremendously worse <laughs> as, mm-hmm. as mm-hmm. you know, we're, we're seeing that play out in the media constantly as, as folks are putting down, you know, I mean, let's just put it this way. Age is a number and, and we need to look at people based on, you know, their actions and what they do and who they are and not just look at them from how old they are. Right. Right. I, I agree. Um, and just one more, one more suggestion that you can make to family members when you talk about standing up to the doctors. One of the issues that comes up is that a lot of people are really afraid to stand up to a medical doctor such as yourself, um, especially because some doctors tend to be egocentric, as you said, and yeah. put themselves in the position of God. So how, what would be a suggestion for family members to have that you know, ability to stand up and say, no, I don't agree with you and I don't like that approach, this is, you know, this is what my mom or dad wants. Um, how can they have that confidence to do that? So even though I will say that as a physician, I encourage physicians to, to give the benefit of the doubt to passionate, caring family members, I, I, I do tell families, you have to recognize what you're up against. And if you, you have to be cognizant that you're most likely talking to someone who is egocentric and someone who isn't going to respect what you say. And so getting angry, yelling, whatever, doesn't help. So take mm-hmm. a breath. Try to find a place to come from. And, and what I usually, I, I think what really matters is to focus on mom or dad. Focus on what's important to them. You know, don't ever say to the doctor, I want you to do this. Say, look, I've known my mom and dad my whole life. Uh, I'm pretty sure this is what they would want. And, and this is how they feel. And, you know, put it from those perspectives. And, and you know, I've, I've worked with, well, I don't have to tell you this, Mara, uh, you know, uh, I've worked with a lot of psychologists over the years. One of my favorite words mm-hmm. is curiosity. Um, and mm-hmm. maintain a state of curiosity. So instead of getting combative and disagreeable, be curious. Ask questions. But, but at the end of the day, bring it all back to what mom and dad would want. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. I think that's a really good approach. Um, and I agree. It, it didn't help me if I got angry. It just, it, I just, I just remained strong. I think a big part of it is just understanding that that I understood my mom better than the doctor did. Right? He might yep. know medicine better than I do, but I am, I know what my mom wants better than she does. So exactly. I had that 
Thank you for thank you for that. Um, so so Mike, if people are interested in learning more about what you're doing and and reading your books and hearing your talks, what are some of the ways they can do that? Uh, that's a great question. I mean, I I am on. I still call it Twitter. I I uh, I have my own issues, but I I. By and large, one of the things I found out about Twitter is I only use it for aging and geriatrics. So I only follow people who are in the field of aging and geriatrics, and I, I don't follow anybody else. Um, and, and so I am on Twitter. It's at Wasdoc, W-A-S-S-D-O-C. Um, I'm also on LinkedIn, um, and, and I found mm-hmm. LinkedIn to actually – uh, be an interesting place for networking, meeting other people, um, and 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 so I, you know, I, I in, uh, look. We live in a social media world. To ignore social media, I think, uh, if you want to get something done, you can't ignore social media. Um, right. So I think those are those are the biggest things uh, that I, that I could think of. Okay. All right. So I'll post those links on my post on my uh, website about this show so people can find that easily. Um, thank you so much for coming back onto the program. I really appreciate it, and I'd love to have you back on again when you have some time. I know you're busy. Um, there's always something really important that you have to say, so I really, really appreciate it. Thank, thank you, thank you for the you know for asking me on, and uh, thanks for what you do. It's it's we need more we need more folks doing what you do. So thank you very much. Okay, and thank you for what you do. I mean, that's, yep. So and you have a good day, a good evening, wherever you are. <laughs> okay. And, I will. And we'll, okay. We'll, and I'll be in touch on LinkedIn. <laughs> All right. All right. Bye-bye now. All right. We're going to take a quick break. And when- Please visit us on the web at www.drmaricarpel.com. All right. And we are back. That was very interesting, and I really, um, I really hope that you heard what Dr. Wasserman said about advocating for your family member. Really important, and if there are doctors out there, I really hope that you heard what he said. Uh, I'll be repeating it from this point forward. Um, all right, and now we have another guest on the program. Um, Rosie Davis was on the show last spring as well, and <laughs> she's back on to talk about the launch of her memorial, More Than a Number. Welcome, Rosie. Hi, Dr. Tarpell. I am so glad to be back on the show, so thank you for inviting me back. Thank you so much for for being back, and um, congratulations on the launch of More Than a Number. Thank you. I appreciate it. Um, It's it's definitely something that um, I've wanted to do for a while and, you know, had to just kind of sit sit back for a little bit, take a break, um, just really focus on grieving for my mom. You know, I took a step back late last year. Um, and, you know, just really spent some one-on-one time and just d- did a lot of stuff that my mom really enjoyed doing. Um, you know, I did a mm-hmm. Christmas tree for her, and, you know, her favorite color was pink, and she loved pearls, so that's what the tree looked like. And, you know, mm-hmm. I feel like with everything that's happened, um, it happened so fast that I really focused on other people's grief, and um, I really didn't get that time to grieve my own mom so Mm -hmm. it was really good for me and now I'm back and um, yeah we're I'm actually launching this uh, traveling memorial called more than a number of course 
this is dedicated and um, we're honoring COVID victims that were lost during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So where where are you right now? Where is the the launch happening? So um, the launch is happening where this all began in Irving at the archives um, and museum. Um, we are doing the opening ceremony on March the 13th at one o'clock, um, and it's going to be from one to two. The reason I chose March 13th is because four years ago, that was the day that Texas was declared a disaster. And um, mm-hmm. so that's why I chose that day. Um, you know, that's the day that, you know, um, not only here in Texas, but worldwide, um, we've seen um, everything starting to shut down. You know, I, I listened mm-hmm. to the previous guest, and it really hit home for me because my mother was in a nursing home. And um, mm-hmm. unfortunately, I'm the one who had to call 911 to get her to a hospital when she contracted COVID in the nursing home. Mm-hmm. So a lot of that hit home for me because <laughs> I was my mom's yeah. advocate. And um and you're right, you know, yeah. there's so much more work that needs to be done, um, especially in nursing homes. Mm-hmm. Yes, I uh, 100% agree. Um, yeah. So with this more than a number, um, so you're starting in Irving. How long is it going to be in Irving? Um, we are actually going to be in Irving. Um, again, we open March the 13th. And we will be there until April the 7th. Um, from there, we are not sure where we, we are going next. I've had a lot of requests. <laughs> I've had people uh-huh. reach out from San Antonio, from Houston, um, here from Austin. Um, so I'm getting a lot of um, requests for the memorial to go there next. And so we'll just see what happens. But um one important thing that I do want to add is that there was um, a couple that actually did a Say Their Names memorial, and that was to, um, you know, bring awareness to um, all of the social and, um, you know, all of the stuff going on in, in the time where George Floyd, we we witnessed George Floyd. Um mm-hmm being murdered by a cop and so this couple actually had a say their name memorial and i seen it on the news and of course i went to visit the memorial and it was very beautiful very powerful um so i actually reached out to um alicia rico she's um the wife she actually owns bows and arrows in dallas texas and we connected and you know she's like i see everything you're doing for your mom and mm-hmm. and your covid community and i think it's amazing so here recently the pillars that were used for the say their names memorial was actually donated to me and so wow. those same pillars yeah will actually um they'll go from having those portraits on on those pillars, which included Martin Luther King, Malcolm X, um, those will come down, and then our loved ones um, will be going up on those pillars. Oh, very nice. Very yeah. Nice. Yeah. Congratulations on that. That's a big oh, win. I, I'm I'm very, you know, I, I was just really um, grateful to them. They are an amazing couple. Um, you know, and they they also were very grateful that I was willing to take the pillars and do something with them and give them a home and, um, you know, just, again, make use of them, and that's what we're going to do. Um, you know, I'm, I'm stripping them down. I'm repainting them. I'm putting our own touch on them for, you know, our um, loved ones. And so... Mm-hmm. When you go visit the memorial, there will be 43 pillars, and we are going to have 250 portraits um, that wow. will be placed on those pillars. Um, and how do people get 
their loved ones into the memorial for like the next one when you travel to the next spot? Are they already picked out, or do you or do you um, reach out and ask people to send in pictures? Yeah. So what we did was we put out a request for this first memorial and. Originally, we were going to let it go till March 1st was the deadline, but the requests were coming in like it was just overwhelming. And I was like, well, if we keep going till March 1st, I'm going to end up with probably 500 portraits. Um, Mm -hmm. And so we actually had to, we had to stop submissions for now. Now what I am looking for is I'm looking for somebody that could build us more pillars so that we can actually add on to the memorial. Um, Anyone that Mm -hmm. needs more information, um, they're more than welcome to email me at yellowheartmemorial at gmail.com, and I will answer any questions that they have. Um, But, yeah, you know, those portraits that are going to be in this first memorial – the, those portraits will actually stay with the Irving Archives and Museum because they are actually going to archive every portrait that um, is included in that memorial. Wow, that's great. So hopefully in the yeah. next spot they'll do the same thing wherever that is. Yeah, so that's the goal. Um, you know, we, again, it doesn't feel like four years, but here we are, and yeah. Um, you know, March is a big month for all COVID groups. Um, you know, this mm-hmm. is the month that changed our lives. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, it's, we can't, we can't, um, we can't just forget about this, the moment in time, you know, that we all had to go through. Um, and some people, of course, they've moved on and, um, but there's still this community of us that still doesn't have the closure, we still, it it almost feels like we're almost a year or a couple of years behind because so much happened within that period of the pandemic. Um, And then on top of that, it was an election year. It was politicized. So we've gone through Mm -hmm. a lot as a community. And so we're playing Mm -hmm. catch up here. You know, we're not like, the outside world where we're we're just moving forward, um, we're still trying to play catch up. We're still dealing with this grief and we're still dealing with, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's almost kind of like, you know, trying to wrap our head around it, trying to still process what happened in that period of time. Um, mm-hmm. And then now coming to this realization, like, wow, like we're one of the families that lost our loved one in a pandemic. And that's hard to grasp. Mm-hmm. It really is, you know, because we're going to yeah. be these families 20 years from now that people are talking about. Um, mm-hmm. It's almost similar to what happened with 9-11. You know, now they're mm-hmm. interviewing the children that were left behind. And we have to remember there's over 200,000 orphans just here in the United States alone that lost wow. either one or both parents to covid and these are the children that are going to be interviewed in another 20 years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, I think it's great what you're doing because I think, you know, having a memorial like the one that you're having helps people to process it and, and feel like you, like you said, you're calling in a community. And I think that that's really healing to have a community so yeah you're you're doing a really really good thing well I appreciate that and you know and another goal is you know not to only give our community that comfort of knowing you know your loved one has not been forgotten and they will not be forgotten but to also show the people outside of our community that don't understand or don't um, want to believe that COVID really existed, to to give them that visual that this was Mm -hmm. a person. Look at their face. Look at their name. 
you know, and and that's what I'm going for. I want the memorial mm-hmm. to be so powerful that it touches you whether you lost somebody or you didn't. Mhm. Mhm. Oh, I wish you the best of luck. Keep me posted on on what's happening next and where you're going next so I can I can let people know about it and if there's more news that you want to tell people about, you know, let me know and I'll have you back on, okay? Absolutely. I I know one place I will be working on <laughs> Um, is to actually have our memorial in front of our Capitol here in Austin. So that is that would be amazing. Mm-hmm. Yes, and and I, I will be working toward that. And so I will definitely keep you in the loop um, with everything that's going on. And hopefully that will be my grand entrance to Austin. <laughs> um, uh-huh. So I'm uh-huh. <laughs> I'm hoping that that happens. Um, I'm pretty positive that it will. Um, but, you know, other than that, I will definitely keep you updated on everything going on with Yellowheart Memorial. And, of course, for having me back on your show. I appreciate yeah, you so thank, much. And thank you. And and would the best place be for people to keep up with what's going on? Would that be your Facebook page, Yellowheart Memorial? Yes. Um, you can find us on um, Facebook, Instagram. Um, you can also find us on TikTok. Um, most of the stuff's going on, I always try and post on all three of those platforms. And so, yeah, we're very easy to find, and it's all the way across the board. Yellowheart Memorial is how you find us. <laughs> okay, great, great. And I will post that on my on my post about the show and also your email address for people to reach out to you. Awesome. Um, thank you. Thank you so much, Rosie, for coming on and telling us about this, and and uh, and best of luck. Thank you so much. Um, um, you know, our our community is um, ready to see the memorial. I'm ready to see it come to life, um, and we're just ready to, you know, again, this is this is about awareness. This is about giving them honor that was taken away from them in their death. Um, and so mm-hmm. that's the goal is to make sure that we touch different communities. And, um, yeah, I'll keep you updated. Thank you. Great. Great. Thank you. And and you have a good evening. You too. Thank you so much. All right. <laughs> Bye-bye. Okay. Bye-bye now. All right. We've come to the end of another great program. Um, and before we go, I want to let you know, that I will be a guest on another podcast this Wednesday. It's actually live. It's an internet radio program like we have here, um, and it will turn into a podcast. So if you want to listen live, it's this Wednesday, February 28th at 7 p.m. Central Time, 8 p.m. Eastern Time. And you can also listen anytime on podcast. And the link to that will be posted on, is posted on my website on the radio show page. So take a look. Um, I will be interviewed by Marsha Joyner. And it's also here on Blog Talk Radio. She has a show called Betrayed by Hospice. And I'll be talking about that experience that I just mentioned um, in my discussion with Dr. Wasserman about this pressure on my family to put my mom into hospice when she didn't need it and we didn't do it and she went on to live two amazing years. And we'll also be talking about many other issues regarding advocacy for the elderly. So it's all related to this topic. And then next Sunday, we'll be back here on March 3rd with another live program and we'll be joined from Ontario by Dr. Patricia Spindell She's the chair of Seniors for Social Action Ontario. She was a co-founder of the Advocacy Center for the Elderly, and she is a former president of Concerned Friends of Ontario Citizens in Care Facilities. And she'll be giving her perspective about elder care advocacy and what might what that might entail and what we can do to be a part of that. And if you want to hear tonight's program again and read the information from the show and get all those website links that we talked about, 
um, go to my website, drmaricarpel.com, and the podcast and the links in that in that post will be posted later tonight. And you can also hear this evening's program again in five minutes from now by going directly to Blog Talk Radio, B-L-O-G, talkradio.com slash your golden years. And you'll also be able to listen in five minutes on Apple Podcasts. Be sure to follow me on Facebook, Dr. Mara Carpell, Your Golden Years, for upcoming programs, announcements, and events. This program was produced by Accomplice Entertainment and Psyched Up Productions. And I want to thank my guests, Dr. Michael Wasserman and Rosie Davis. And thank you, Art. Thank you all for listening. Have a peaceful night and inspiring week. And remember, youth has no age. Good night, everyone. Stay safe. Célébrant ton roulet. That is what they all say. Célébrant ton roulet. That is what they all say. Célébrant ton roulet. That is what they all say. Célébrant ton roulet. That is what they all say. Any guidance offered by Dr. Carpell is not intended to replace the advice of your own physician or mental health specialist. Neither Dr. Carpell, her sponsor, nor this station assumes responsibility for the misuse of any information on this program. <laughs>